I'm very excited for today. I have no idea what's coming. Honestly, yeah. you've talked about this potential topic. You've been hyping it up for weeks. And please, please lower your expectations. <laughs> oh, okay. It's I mean, not... I still have high expectations no matter yeah, what. Every week I have high expectations. Yeah. So every once in a while I get super obsessed with something for for like a few weeks. And this has been like a recurrent recurring obsession of mine. Meaning that you get obsessed with it, stop getting obsessed with it, and then re-get obsessed with it yeah. at a later date? Exactly. Okay. And the funny thing is that what we're going to talk about today has already been mentioned previously by a guest of ours. And uh, I had to really keep quiet when he said it because I didn't want to give any anything away because I knew I was going to make a... Uh, the weekly hook at some point. So, Joost mentioned a video game series when we were recording the Super Smash Brothers episode. And wow, this goes way back. This goes way back. So this has been a long time coming. It's kind of like the the movie episode where you said I've been tra- like that I had been training for this my entire life, and this kind of feels similar. So today we're going to talk about my favorite video game series of all time, Age of Empires. (laughs) What? I've I've never, I have no idea. Zero ideas. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, I think we're very different players. I can imagine. Yeah. So Age of Empires is a real-time strategy game series developed by Ensemble Studios. It has three main installments and one sort of spin-off. The first one covering the period from the Stone to the Iron Age. The second one from about the years 500 to 1500. And the third one from 1500 to 1800 with the offshoot Age of Mythology set in antiquity but a more mythological setting. So the first three are realistic or like actual, well, not actual history, but like yeah, more exactly. or less historical settings. Yes. Exactly. Can you repeat the um, time frames again? Sure. Uh, the first one is basically prehistory and antiquity. Okay. The, uh, the second one is medieval times. And uh, the third one is, is the, the early modern period in, from a very Eurocentric perspective, which we'll get to later. Interesting. Okay, so we have Roman Empire, medievals, and European exploration, essentially. Pretty much, but it's not. I mean, the even by I would say the first one is is also pre-Roman times, like way back, like ancient Egypt, or like even like Mesopotamia, right? Oh shit! All right. And yeah, please feel free to ask questions throughout because I might just be having a monologue otherwise, please, and at any time. Ask I'm sure questions. I will. I, I have no image of mm-hmm. what even it looks like. So yeah. we'll yeah, have what, to what? start from <clears throat> scratch. Yeah, so have you played RTS games? No. <laughs> Not at never. No. Interesting. Okay. Do you know what, what no? <laughs> What their premise is? Nope. Okay. So 
there is a in terms of strategy games there is a difference the basic difference between turn-based and real-time strategy games and for rts is you know you collect resources you build buildings develop technologies and uh, create economic and military units and as opposed to turn-based strategy games like civilization for example they're they occur in kind of quote-unquote real time meaning that you know in civilization for example you have like obviously it's turn-based as i just mentioned you have like different actions you can do per round and then your opponent has a turn and the next opponent and then it's your turn again with rts whatever you can do in the game has different like it takes different time to create certain units or build a building or develop a technology and all of these things but it's basically just real time uh, obviously not every person is getting born in 15 seconds yeah i was saying define real time yeah but it is just a set time for each action you can take but it's not round based so every action takes a certain amount of time exactly and it also differs like Depending on which unit you want to create or which technology you want to develop, it can take longer or shorter. For sure. And then are other players simultaneously doing Playing. the same? Yes, exactly. That is kind of the main difference, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And is this multiplayer? Yeah, I mean, you can play against an AI, and there are a lot of people who just play against the AI, but there is also, you know, there you can also do a, like, on uh, you know digital multiplayer thing for sure in aoe it's basically up to eight players at a time and you can have you know different factions and everything so that's 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 a huge part too but there's a difference between 1v1s and team games for sure and uh yeah, so the um, the game focuses on economic and military aspects and there are different settings or requirements for victory. The most common being defeating one's opponents like militarily by killing the units and destroying the buildings. But there are also things like what's called in AoE a wonder victory where there is a special building you build that costs a lot of resources. And once you've built it, a uh, clock is ticking and if your opponent's don't manage to destroy that building until the clock runs out they have lost or there's a game mode called regicide where every player starts with a king that's just one unit and as soon as a player's king is killed they have lost and there are like very many different other game modes but yeah the, the basic one is definitely the uh the like victory by like military domination how old is like the first instance of this game we'll get to that no because i'm gonna i'm trying to i'm like is this an online based thing is this ah uh, i see no so the very first one came out in 1997 okay just so i get a sense of like the timeline of technology because i can yeah. imagine that you know the internet would transform something like this oh yeah oh yeah and is there a sure. mode in which you can just like you kind of have like a legacy empire that's just building up over time, if that makes sense? In a sense, like in uh, a AOE 3, there's kind of, there is something kind of like that because uh, AOE 3, as opposed to all the others, 
has what's called shipments. So when you gain experience points during the game for killing units or something like that, or developing technologies, um, you can get extra bonuses from for your like civilization. Like you get a crate of 500 food that your uh, villagers can collect sort of thing. Or you get 12 military, like, I don't know, 12 musketeers or something like that. But everything that you um, accumulate kind of resets every time you start a new match. It does, but uh, after the game, uh, you can you can build... You, you also gain, like, levels, basically, throughout all the games you play, and that gives you access to better shipments. Cool. Yeah, but all the other games, it doesn't work like that, which is kind of... Which makes it also really interesting, I think, because everybody basically has the same... Uh, like like everybody starts the same in a way but there obviously there are different um there are still major differences because every player chooses a civilization which very much influences the strategy since every civilization has different strengths and weaknesses such as um bonuses like your infantry moves 10% faster or your villagers collect wood 15% faster or something like that um, Got it. And there are also, um, in terms of the tech tree, so the technologies that are available to you, some, you know, not not all civilizations have all technologies. I mean, there is no, actually no tech, uh, civilization has all technologies. Um, and yeah, depending on your civilization, you have access to something or not. And the best example for that is an AOE 2, which we're, by the way, going to focus on today a little bit the mesoamerican civs so the aztecs the mayans and the incas don't have access to any form of cavalry unit which historically speaking makes a lot of sense i see i see yeah and so the i just alluded to it but the basic unit is the villager who builds buildings and collects resources um food wood gold and stone or later coin and there are also fishing ships collecting food and trade units collecting gold. But the vast majority of units are military. And there are very, very many different units. And they are roughly in like categorized in infantry, ranged units, cavalry, monks or priests, uh, siege units and navy. Monks are part of the military? Yeah, because they can heal your units or con- convert enemy units. Oh, I like the conversion aspect. Yeah, and the the great thing about the conversions is that it's it's somewhat random. Because I I I just note for AOE two, but um, every conversion it takes I think between three or to twelve seconds for a conversion to be um, to be successful. And there are certain units that have a higher resistance. For example, there's a certain type of cavalry that has higher resistance, which is then in turn used by your enemy to kill your monks. Um, Because they have the higher resistance, right? And that can really turn the tide of of a game if your opponent or you get a bunch of conversions. But... Monks are also very, very expensive and very, very weak. So 
that's kind of, you know, that's kind of balanced that way. Got it. And yeah, so, you know, you have, and the, basically the uh, military units are kind of organized in a rock, paper, scissors format. So they are strong against certain units, but weak against others. For example, there are uh, spearmen who are strong against cavalry, but are weak against archers, which kind of makes sense, right? Got it. Yeah. This, this sounds like Pokemon to me. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Except you can just, you can have a lot of units. Um, a lot of, you can't just have 15 Pikachus. <laughs> I mean, you can, ostensibly. I mean, you can't have more than six at a time, but still. And yeah, the choice of civilization usually depends on the map that a game is played on, since that also really changes the strategies. And, you know, there are land-based maps, there are water-based maps, there are hybrid maps. There are like special maps like Arena where you start in a base that's fully walled, uh, which gives you a lot of security uh, f against like early raids by your opponents, which could really, really impact your late game. Because from like <laughs> if you've seen the pro scene, it's incredible what just like killing one villager in the first age can have like just a snowball effect and by the way there are also ages <laughs> good thing i just mentioned that because you know you can, there are different ages that unlock certain buildings and techs and units and you can basically advance that it's kind of like a technology that you develop it's just pretty pricey and takes a long time but that is how you advance like for example um in AoE 1, you have you go from the uh, Stone Age to the Tool Age to the Bronze Age to the Iron Age. Or the uh, in AoE 2, you have Dark Age, Feudal Age, Castle Age, and Imperial Age. And yeah, that's, that's just, um, you know, like a, the basic premise and the mechanics of this game. Do your opponents exist in the same age? age and or um space so like if you, mm -hmm. you use the example that you mentioned the south american or latin american civilizations mm -hmm. do you does everyone is everyone there or are people off in europe or whatever and you're in latin america and no any civilization can fight against anyone in it i mean it depends on the settings right there are there are certain tournaments for example that say okay we only have like these sorts of civilizations available but generally like incas could fight chinese or something like that and you're but the map you're on is the same yeah yeah exactly. Got it. so it's not like you're in south america living with living in the andes and the mountains and no the mongols are living in or the sorry i guess it wouldn't be mongols at that time but they're in the steppe and you have to mm. find a way to get there like, no no it's not like that it's just you have one uh map that you're but you're all on you just it's basically a character you can choose it's like the different civilization exactly exactly okay. and uh, by the way the mongols are a civilization in aoe too <laughs> oh they are great yeah yeah the, one of my favorite civs <laughs> but then like wait because timing is weird with the, oh yeah okay yeah that doesn't that like there are goths versus turks versus i see uh, I see. So know, any civilization that loosely existed in that exactly. large range of time can yeah. be against one another. 
yeah, it is it is historically influenced, but it's not historically accurate. Let's put it that way. Got it. Yeah, and the I think the the games or like some of the games at least do a good job a good job of balancing that. Like they're not super nitpicky about things, but they're like overall it makes sense. Like you know, with the mezzo sieves, they that they don't have access to gunpowder or cavalry. That makes sense. No? Yeah, 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 and uh, or the the Huns are a a cavalry civilization that also makes a lot of sense, and yeah, so there's that. Um, there are also um, custom scenarios that people can create or campaigns that they can play can uh, play. Basically, a series of games that is loosely connected by an overarching narrative structure. But within each game, there are different conditions for victory, very, very different maps and settings. And that's also like a really fun game mode. But now I want to get in more into the... Or let, let's, let, let me ask you this. Do you think you kind of have a basic understanding of the game or do you have any more questions? I think I have a basic understanding of how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I'll get even more of an understanding as we continue. Okay, so now I want to go into the uh, game's history a little bit and maybe my history with the game as well. And I've been thinking about this, about how to structure the history of this series. And at first I thought there are two phases and now I'm more of, you know, now I think maybe there there might be three. The first is definitely from 1997 to to 2007 with the release of all four games plus the expansions um that's one period yeah that's basically one period that is just the the first height of of the game where you have those four games plus one expansion each or in terms uh when it comes to uh aoe3 two expansions that's basically the the one uh phase where it's ongoing. Every, like a lot of people love it. It's definitely very popular. And Microsoft, which bought Ensemble Studios in two thousand and one, is very much interested in the game. But two thousand, like after the release of AOE three, that's pretty much it because Microsoft kind of clo- they closed down Ensemble Studios in two thousand and nine, and they previously had shut down the. Um, MSN Gaming Zone, which was the uh, only multiplayer platform where people could play AoE on, as, uh, at least the first two or three. Every, basically every game except AoE 3. And that was shut down in 2006 already, which was a, a, like a huge blow to like a lot of people playing online. And kind of the um, the... <laughs> the hardcore fans then kind of try to build up their own platforms and basically at least for AoE2 which to this day has the largest community they settled on something that, like a platform that's called Vubli <laughs> that's a funny name yeah <laughs> they settled like in on that in like 2008 2009 but those 3 years was basically enough to really really reduce the uh the amount of people actively playing the game. I see. And that could have really been it, were it not for the AoE2 community, in my opinion. 
it it's as I mentioned, it wasn't big anymore, but it definitely made an impact because there was a fan project called Forgotten Empires, which developed a mod, basically an unofficial expansion in the early 2010s. And this caught the attention of you know, some former employees of Ensemble Studios and also of Microsoft, which resulted in AOE finally being integrated on Steam and the fan project becoming an official expansion. Uh, this resulted in remakes of basically the three major AOE titles, so 1, 2, and 3, with a clear focus on AOE 2, which has a total of five expansions in this second phase, so since roughly 2012-2013. At that point, though, like... There were still like there was still a solid number of people playing the game, but it wasn't like huge or anything. But in the last few years, this has really gotten a lot of increase. And I just want to what like one comparison to see where the game AOE two has, like as a game sense, uh, has come to after the original game and its one official expansion in two thousand and one and two thousand and two. AOE 2 had 18 civilizations, and today it has 39. Oh, that's like a whole game. Yeah. Like a whole extra game in a game. I know. And like, with every new expansion, there are like uh, maybe f- two to five new uh, civilizations. There are obviously patches, changes in the games, like buffs and debuffs for you know the bonuses that each civilization gets just to try to make it more even because there were major imbalances in the original games. That's why whenever you'd see tournaments from that time, you'd always see the same maybe six or seven civilizations being picked. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and though like that's that was still interesting, but after a while, you know, it's kind of boring, to be honest with you. Um, and now these all these changes obviously inter- influence the meta games, so the all the strategies and everything and this like basically kept everything evolving uh, and th- this f- second phase kind of culminated or in like 2018 to 2020 where the so-called definitive editions were published by microsoft which basically uh updated the graphics and some new like uh, definitely the AI and just a lot of changes to the game that really improved it. But at least for AOE 2, you know, with all these expansions, it basically unified all of that into one game. So you didn't have to buy the base game and like six expansions. This so is, that, was the thing that came out last year or two yeah, years two ago. Years, two years ago, yeah. yeah. And that was, so you just buy that now and you have everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, ever like since then there have also been two expansions, but are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's you know but this very, is very all based on AOE two. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, there are also there are also definitive edi- editions for uh, one and three. It's just that barely no one is playing them. Like I think. There is there is only like a somewhat active scene in one country, and I'm not sure it's either it's either, v- either Vietnam or South Korea. 
but that's basically it. In AOE 3, there are like a f- still a few people here and there, but it's not, uh, you know, at all comparable with AOE 2. That's really interesting because the only dif- real differentiation between them is the time period in which they are set, right? No, there are also major differences in gameplay for sure. Got like, it. You could okay. definitely tell AOE 1 is just... It was a necessary step for AOE 2, let's say that. And AOE 3 is very different from the previous games. And what was the mythological one, though, you said? Yeah, that's... Um, what do you mean? What what was that? Just like there is, that's, an, that's like AOE 4? What was it called again? No, Age of Mythology. Oh, got it. So it's, yeah, it's basically set in... But the gameplay is entirely new as well or based on one of the the other games no it's it's very much based on aoe 2 i would say and it, the fi- the interesting thing is it came out between two and three not after three or anything okay um so it's kind of a mid 2000s sort of game i see okay and yeah there has also been some updates to that but it, it like that it also doesn't really have that much of a big scene and yeah it's also very different of course because you have things like you can create mythological beings or research, not research, but you have basically, you can also collect a resource called favor that, yeah, that enables you to create mythological units and certain technologies. And you can basically, you have, how how did they call that? You basically can ask a a God for, for a favor. And so you can, uh have like a thunderstorm and kill like some enemies with lightning or uh like a like a plague or like there there's one <laughs> so it's it's basically the egyptian greek and norse mythology with a addition in one of the expansions from chinese mythology uh, but there is one god in age of mythology where you can that's called uh, where you can basically invoke Ragnarok huh. which means nice. that all of your all of your settlers become or like villages become heroes and like like very very strong uh military units and that's that's really cool and you 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 know you can have cyclopses or chimeras or uh like trolls and giants and it's super cool. Wow. Okay. Sorry. I'm just like. It's a little overwhelming. <laughs> it's a lot of things, but I'm getting a good picture of it. Thank you. I like learning about things that, like new games, even if I'm not actually playing them. The rules of the universe that are created within certain boundaries is, is always mm. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super cool. And it's like, yeah, I guess, <laughs> you know, that that is a, like a pretty good segue into into my relationship with this series. Because, you know, that one can definitely also be, like, there are two distinctive phases f- for that one. Uh, because I played, the like, all of the games from the late 90s until the early 2000s, the 2010s. And I played so many hours of it. Like, probably, thou- like, thousands, like, for sure. Like, easy. Maybe, like, tens of thousands. I don't even want to know. And, you know, the standard game and the campaigns and all of it, all, all of the different titles... And what appealed to me from a very, very early stage on was the historical setting, because I have I have witnessed testimony that from a from a very, very young age I annoyed my peers with like my obsession about history. 
and that's as early as kindergarten so whoa are you yeah. kidding no no it's it's very i thought that that happened in like primary school but a few years ago i just bumped into a kin like a like a childhood friend and we just got talking and he told me like he had like i had already been talking about history like when i was four or five <laughs> that's insane i know are you know. okay chris <laughs> uh i wonder sometimes uh, <laughs> uh so yeah i guess you know it's it was right up my wheelhouse you could say and it definitely fueled the interest too right and the same with the age of mythology actually because you know that had become one of my other interests when i was like nine or ten i got really into like the different myths and the creatures and everything and that's like a few years later, Age of Mythology came out. So that was just right up my wheelhouse. Uh, I love these games so much. Though, to be fair, I probably never was really good at it, playing it. But as I said, I you know I stopped playing for the most part uh, in the early 2010s when I graduated from high school. But in 2015, I rediscovered it, but this time not as a player, but as a viewer. Since, you know, those were the, the very, very early st days of streaming. And in 2015 and 2016, I must have watched like a few hundred hours of uh, uh, recorded and casted games on YouTube and on Twitch. I think I just typed AOE into the YouTube search box and, you know, discovered the scene from there. I quickly familiarized myself with all of the important names of the of of the scene you know the casters the players and um watched so many games and uh yeah it was so much fun but it was also you know a huge rabbit hole and a huge time sink that's why since 2016 i only come back to it every once in a while due to time and health reasons but it's discovering this side of it and watching pro players seeing what's possible it just gave me a new new like appreciation of the game like seeing what they can do it's it's crazy like i could never do that ever but of course like some of them have played it literally since since it came out like non-stop basically like every week of their lives like dozens of hours per week wow i can only imagine yeah it's Ah, oh, so good, and it's it's. I'm so happy for them in a way that now now it's kind of a golden age right now, because like especially for the AOE two people, right? Is it the golden age or is it like the beginning of a new era or like a, a golden age? Funny you should say that. <laughs> so because i didn't i didn't mention the the third what i perceive to maybe be the, like the third phase of age of empires and so later this year microsoft will publish age of empires 4 and yeah th so this game will have a middle age, like a set, will also be set in the middle ages and will you know be very very different from aoe 2 but you know, there's there there there. So there's some concern in the scene, of course, like what this will mean. Because right now there are so many tournaments and you know teams too, and people who make a living 
from this playing this game and you know there there are companies like red bull that sponsor tournaments every once in a while and as of definite the release of the def definitive edition microsoft has also really been stepping up and got really really involved and their prize money is like the prize money has really skyrocketed since then there are multiple tournaments a year with five or like like five figure prize pools some even coming close or even exceeding 100k though uh and i have to say unfortunately basically all of those are 1v1s not 3v3 or 4v4 uh which is kind of a shame i would like to see a, like a bigger mix of those but alas and uh you know some some of the top players and casters also make a living from it but i don't i can't really so there, there's always a huge discussion whether aoe is already like an esport with like figures like that right but i personally think that so people make their living from playing this game but it's not really just from playing it they don't just get it from prize money but it's mostly from streaming as the main source of income and i feel like esports is mostly people just play the game in tournaments and that's basically what they make the living of but basically everyone is just uh you know being able to find like finance themselves through that because they they stream on twitch that's an interesting distinction that you were mentioning hmm. i don't know how true that is i mean but you would know more than i would but my understanding is that it's always a dual stream of income for those who are you know in esports mm. so they i mean because the prize money is not it's a lot obviously especially for those bigger tournaments but there are many who are professional gamers who mm. don't necessarily win prizes at that top level but they make their streaming they make their life on streaming in that way um that's an interesting distinction that you were thinking about i had never really thought of it that way mm. yeah and I, i don't really have like a strong opinion on that i could i could like it's not something that i think like that's a hundred percent true and i like i don't really care to be honest with you it doesn't matter whether you could call it an esport or not i'm just happy that people play it and i can watch them and they can make their living out of that you know Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's like when you're a professional, like these are professional gamers and that's perfect. And even some professional casters and it's so interesting because so when I and like when I rediscovered it, there was one caster who had just started and now he is like basically the the main like the most popular maybe the yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess he's the most popular caster and I really really like him and I basically I saw him grow like his his like career out of this for over the years and it's so interesting and i think he's really deserved that with such it's like a labor of love and a lot of hard labor and i think that's really cool and i'll talk to uh, talk about him a little bit later too um and obviously like a lot of pro players who've been really passionate about it and I think it's it's great that they can do this and it also has like this great sense of community. I mean there are always like a few rotten eggs in there, but 
overall it's like a really really positive place i think and i really like it. i mean it's not necessarily all uh, always wholesome but uh like because you know sometimes people like make fun of each other but it one, one of these ways where you know it's kind of there they really like each other and that's kind of the way they communicate with, with each other um, but you know as a whole i think this community is pretty great and um yeah there is however kind of the uh a sort of Damocles dangling over this, you know, which is the release of AoE 4. And there are serious worries that this game will split the community uh, or that the vast majority of pros and casual players also will abandon AoE 2. And I just listened to a bunch of interviews with people who are very involved with AoE 2 and some have even caught a glimpse of AoE 4, like playtesting it. And from from what they said basically it's you know it's not really directed at pros it's more directed at casual players so kind of the hope is that the pro scene you know they might dabble in it a little bit especially at the beginning where there's going to be a lot of hype but in the long term at least some of those people said you know aoe2 will might still be there and there might be some cross-pollination and two overlapping scenes that exist at the same time. And I would really hope that that's the case. And I think it really depends on what Microsoft is going to do, whether they will just pull out of their money out of AOE 2 to push AOE 4. But especially because it is such a, it seems to be such a casual game, I don't think so. So I hope that they will still support AOE 2 and that people can still make their money out of it and all of this. But yeah, like either way, this resurgence has kind of filled me with a lot of joy. And I know, you know, all of the people, you can really tell it, you can really tell that they're so happy that what, like what they're experiencing right now. And some of them are kind of doom and gloom about it. It's like, yeah, enjoy it while it lasts. But yeah, I don't know. I just really, uh, I don't know. I guess I get a lot of happiness from seeing how happy they are and how much they enjoy it. Um, especially those people who've been through like every stage of this game and it's really, really cool. Wow. That's really nice. Honestly. Mm. Yeah. There it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so cool. I don't think I'd be worried if I were you of Microsoft pulling their money out of AOE too, because they, they have more than enough money. <laughs> yeah. But you know how like advertising budgets and stuff like that work. Right. So, but I wonder like, how much do they have to advertise for something like AoE 2, especially based on the community? I think AoE 4 is more directed at players who don't play, trying to get more new players into it mm. than converting those who are traditionalists in their way. Yeah, That's what I would assume. Yeah, I hope so too. And uh, especially because since the Definitive Edition came out, there have been a bunch of new players uh, who really rock the scene like they're basically from 2012 2013 on there has only been like one person at the top the number one player without a doubt is a is a norwegian player uh, with the name of Erjen, uh who whose like nickname is the viper and he has just been dominating the scene ever since he basically started playing it and 
only in the last 12 to 18 months has there really been like serious competition and he might not be the number one right now and that's really it's like an interesting spot to be in so yeah i i hope that it, it'll just be this like like rising tides help all boats or whatever the fuck that thing that i just butchered is called so we'll see how it how it goes but yeah it's it's a lot of um you know it's it's something great that's going on right now and um i do want to mention like a few criticisms though like i it, i wouldn't be me if i didn't do that <laughs> i guess um and one thing that i mentioned was um the uh, eurocentrism in a way and we have i mean we do have kind of a kind of a variety of civilizations for sure uh especially in aoe1 and aoe2 but especially aoe3 like the way they handle uh colonialism is kind of un like it's not great um also there's like a civilization aoe2 that's called the saracens which is just a very unfortunate naming choice i think um and also age of mythology obviously focusing on like the holy trinity of like western like mythologies in a way and yeah i don't know it's it's kind of weird sometimes to to see that but since i i usually watch aoe 2 it's not that big of a deal to be honest with you yeah but everyone's and even like in the in the campaigns for example you have the in the classic aoe 2 campaigns there were so they were five one was william wallace one of was joan of arc we have genghis khan and we have frederick ii barbarossa and we have saladin and that's really interesting because the latter two basically were opponents at the same time and yeah it was just uh, it's also somebody should write a thesis on like orientalism in that campaign and like the saladin campaign oh interesting that could be fascinating yeah because it's one of these things it's it it definitely criticizes the uh, crusaders but it, at the same time is like it's it's very much depicting saladin and like in like a very very positive light but i guess it's also very like the uh the all not less not really like the noble savage but kind of like going that direction a little bit sometimes yeah that would make sense yeah but it is you know in terms of civilizations especially since like in the second phase there have been some actually like african civilizations like the malians and the ethiopians where whereas you know earlier you only had the uh, saracens um and yeah you also have the berbers come to think of it like since a few years so there's definitely a much more variety also when you're talking about like asia because in the first game you only had um japanese and chinese and with the first expansion you had koreans and that's about it and now you have Khmer and Indians and which might be problematic calling it that way but still and Vietnamese and just so much more and I think that's pretty cool same kind of with with like the players though I mean they're mostly from northern Europe oh that's actually not true they're 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 basically from anywhere but Africa I would say 
at least on a top level, which is really interesting. You have a lot of like Latin American players too, and a lot of like Asian p players too, but though mostly East Asian, I'd say. Um, and the cast is like a lot of the, or like most of the uh, famous casters or well-known casters are also definitely from like basically the Commonwealth, like the, the not the Commonwealth, the uh, Dominion, like the British Dominions, basically North America and Europe, um, which, you know, can be a little bit weird sometimes. But I think as a whole, there's a surprising amount of diversity in that regard as compared to other scenes like other other games i would say yeah one 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 point where there isn't really a lot of diversity is in the gender aspect because there are almost no women in the in the scene so it's like 99.9% men i would say especially like at a at a reasonably high skill level you know there's probably like a single digit like there are probably like f between five and ten women at a reasonably good level as opposed to hundreds of men which is kind of weird but at the same time there isn't that like there isn't like really at least from what i've heard like a lot of sexism going around in a way like i've i've uh heard a few of the uh, those players talking about it in that they don't really like nobody ever said something to them that was really offensive so that i guess that's that's okay and my last criticism is that in the campaigns but that's just me it's like they they definitely hammer home the great men of like the theory of the like great men of history sort of uh, thing. well yeah that makes sense you need to have, yeah yeah but i mean that's just like what else are they supposed to do that's not really like narratively that would be really difficult otherwise yeah, I don't know if I mean I I can go on, but if you again, I want to give you some opportunity to chime in here if you want. Maybe I maybe I like misunderstood or mm -hmm. didn't catch something, but I'm wondering what specifically gameplay wise about AOE two is makes it so special compared to one and three. Did I did you say that and I just missed it? No, I think it's not much. It's not really the gameplay. I think it's the setting, like the medieval setting. I think okay. a lot of people liked. I think a lot of AOE, the reason why a lot of AOE 2 fans didn't migrate to AOE 3 is just because of the changes they made in the gameplay there. You know, things like the those shipments or stuff like that. They really, really changed it. You could, I mean, there are still some overlap, but generally it is very, very different. And I think... That's why AoE 2 was kind of... It's definitely better than AoE 1. It, it's uh, kind of, you know... It's not AoE 3, which is very different. And it's kind of the best game in, in that way. And also, obviously, the most popular. And I think, you know, again, the setting is definitely... Like, plays a huge part in that, too. So, I, yeah, I don't know if, like, in terms of gameplay... I, I, I haven't played this game in so much, like, in so long that i can't really talk to that anymore i think wow this sounds very exciting um another question is that can you only play this on the pc uh yeah i think so. i think i mean maybe you can play it on the mac too but Got i'm it. not but sure but not on a console 
Oh, you can actually. You can. I mean, there were some titles actually that, like, some. Like, I th- I remember there was AOE two on the PS two. Um, oh wow! Okay. And I know that there, like, there are people who basically, if you buy it on Steam, you can play it with a controller. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, but it, like most people, definitely, like, there is no pro player who uses a controller. Let's put it that way. Oh, okay. Are there just too many controls to be? Yeah. It's I th- I mean I think it's a matter of speed. I mean I guess you can be very very quick with a controller too, but uh, I guess with a honestly a lot of gaming is like that. That's just like for me. That's a very interesting thing because it's a huge barrier for me. I just don't play any games on PC. Yeah, I play only console games, and with the recent advents or not not advent but connectivity between the xbox and and pcs it's mm-hmm. made it potentially a little bit easier i've looked into just you know because you can easily sync an xbox controller now with your pc and just play games that way i've thought about that kind of stuff but i've never gone down that rabbit hole um and it's just limited specifically to the consoles that i own and also the problem is i just like nintendo a lot and <laughs> nintendo yeah. is the least um accessible game on other plat like or at least accessible video game company to work on other platforms or pc so Mm, yeah for sure oh my god this is one sorry super random nintendo thing but the exception to that is what was i gonna say is the mario typing game from when i was a kid what you don't oh my god it's amazing it's a game to teach you how to touch type and Mm -hmm. it's mario going across the screen and as the as the keys come up you have to like click the right key and then he jumps and you know jumps over obstacles or jumps to get mushrooms or whatever. <laughs> it is so fun. I remember doing this in my primary nice. school in computer class. And that's why you can touch type now. I, well, I, I give it to Mario. I actually played the game again, I think, last year during mm. COVID. I found a version online and it was just as playing nice. this Mario touch typing game. But yeah. that's not what this is about. So sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I just want to talk like about some highlights, like some things that I like that are just that will not say anything to you, but I love. So there, there's like some things that people do that I just love. For example, there's what's called a like laming, which is basically you go to your opponent's base and just wall in their golden stone, uh, so they have to destroy your walls until they get to these crucial resources, um, or especially in the very very early stage. Um, people have some uh, basically they have boars and deers in the vicinity of their town center and sometimes uh, because you start with one scout with the one scouting unit some people some players just run off to the like they find their opponent's base and just steal a boar which is like the like a huge food source in, in that early stage of the game and that's always really fun in terms of microing units, if you have like let's say a like a group of twenty or ten archers or crossbowmen against the catapult, basically, that happens a lot. And then like those, they are called mangonels. The first stage of this, like basically evolution, like the way that people fight with them is amazing. Like when they when they basically they dodge. You just see this huge ball of uh, ranged units, and then they split uh, wh- when when a shot comes in or stuff stuff like that, or also when the catapult just kills like ten units at once. It's fucking amazing. Whoa, that sounds so cool. 
kind of the same. There's a there's a there's a navy unit called the demolition ship that you can basically just run into uh, your enemy's ships and it explodes and deals a lot of damage. But there's a there's a Spanish player with the name of Tato who for a long time like he basically introduced the um, strategy wherever there is a crossing over water where people like can can go from one landmass to another he has demo ships there and he just destroys whole armies with a few demo ships that's so cool also like quick walling is a thing basically when you see there are enemy units coming and your villagers are without protection you could like some pro players can very quickly buy a lot of wall uh, build a lot of walls and so they're safe and that's always cool or they can even trap the enemy units that's also a lot of fun. One of my favorite things is because you gather wood from obviously like cutting down forests and the um, all the resources in AoE 2, you can't go through them. You have to go around them. So you like forests are a huge deal because you can wall from the forest basically and the enemy can't just go through the forest. But one of the uh, later upgrades of the catapult like the mangonel is a siege onager which can cut through forests and that is so much fun when you see like the your opponent has walled so well and you can't break through the defenses and then you upgrade your catapult and you just go through the forest <laughs> it's always a lot of fun and uh so many more things but i think i'm not sure <laughs> how uh, interesting that is to uh, non-players who don't know anything about what I'm talking about. So, Well, I don't know what you're talking about, and it's interesting to me. So. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> then I'll just continue with a few more things. Please. Yeah, I, I just said, you know, people sometimes wall themselves in so, to protect their base. and so, But obviously, sometimes there's like a hole in the wall or they have walled to a forest, then they chop some down some trees, and then there's a hole there because they forgot to re-wall. And that can literally decide games. I love the the times of 3v3 or 4v4 tournament games where you have just massive armies with like different compositions fighting each other. That's always a lot of fun. Question. Yeah. Sorry. So when you have 3v3, mm -hmm. is it three separate civ uh, civilizations that are just like, so it's like three times the normal size or is it three players with one civilization that is the same size as it would be for an individual very good question it's uh every every player has a different civilization and it depends also on the pos like the position where you're in whether you're in the uh in the middle and so it's because in team games you basically one side of the map you are on and on the other side is your opponents um if it's like uh if it's two teams basically and you ha have what's the flanks, so the people on the outside and the the um, oh shit, I blanked on the what's it called? Yeah, anyway, the people in the middle, and it really depends on where you are and what civilization you have. And for the longest time, you couldn't choose who's on the flank and who's on the inside. And sometimes that could just screw up your entire game plan. So that's also a lot of fun. You have there is a there is a. <laughs> thing in aoe2 that's called a unique unit so every civilization has a unique unit for example the um uh the britons have uh, a longbow man which is just like an archer that can fire from greater distance or uh there are so many great unique units ah so cool and you can only you can only 
uh, create them in the, in the castle, which is a very, very expensive building that can shoot a volley of arrows at your opponent. So it's very like strategic where you place them. And obviously, like a finishing move often is when you go to your uh, opponent's base and you're kind of attacking them from one side and then you build like one of your castles or like maybe even your first castle right in their base. And that's really cool. Also, I mentioned, you know, the walling in part and that happens in the early stages of the game usually. And it's great when like one player goes to an enemy base. They're not fully walled up. They sneak in and they build production buildings in the back of their base unnoticed, amass some army and then just surprise them from within their own walls. I love that. So that's so cool every time. Or like on um, on water maps, when you're on different islands and you do that, you land, you have a transport ship, you get some villages in there, go on your opponent's island, sneak some, I don't know, stables or archery ranges or barracks create armies and attack them on their own island <laughs> so good whoa and there are different obviously there are different uh different strategies whether you like boom which means basically you hide behind walls and build up your economy and then just amass army later or you go for a rush and there are very very many different rushes which have a lot of funny names like drush flush trush or smush and so many different strategies and adaptations. And it's just a lot of fun to also see the game evolving that way because depending on the patches as well, uh, the meta game might change. And uh, I'll leave you with uh, a, a very AoE2 sort of thing. Just imagine there is a castle there. There is an, ar an enemy army of archers and infantry. And so they shoot arrows and uh, against this stone building or hit against it with the uh with the swords and eventually this stone building will just catch on fire because that's how you see that a, huh. that a building is damaged it doesn't make sense but Got it's it. great okay <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of it's just very very funny yeah what else is there to say i mean i have a few i have a few top fours prepared if you want <laughs> oh, oh my god uh yeah sure <laughs> give me all of them so First of all, I would just want to rank the four basic games. So one, two, three, and mythology. Um, number four is definitely number is definitely AOE one. Uh, on third place, it's number three. On two, it's Age of Mythology. I love that game a lot. Uh, and on first place is AOE two. Not surprising anyone. I just yeah, it is it is the classic. In terms of civilizations, I kind of. And like AOE 2 civilizations, I kind of thought about what's the most fun to play and the most fun to watch. But since I haven't played any of the new civilizations, I'm just going to keep it to a classic, uh, the classic uh, 18 civilizations. And for me, my favorite ones to play were always Franks because they have this, there's a basically a heavy cavalry unit called the Paladin that just destroys everything and the franks have the best paladins it's the only thing they can do really but yeah it's uh, i loved it so much then you have the huns which is also like a cavalry civilization that has like mounted archer they're like their cavalry archers are the best in the game and it's really great to raid your opponent with it Celts have a great have a great siege line and they have their their unique unit is called the world raider 
Um, and they're just really, really quick infantry units, also great for raiding. And my favorite civ to play probably was the Mongols. With uh, They also have a mounted archer called the Mangudai. Nice. Which actually has an attack bonus against siege. Because usually, usually ranged units are very bad against siege because you're basically th- like shooting arrows at something that's made of wood, right? Um, that shouldn't work. But uh, they have an attack bonus and they're like mounted archers and I love that. But in terms of civs to watch, I have I have like an honorable mention, which is the Goths. They also are only good at one thing because they're they have a really strong infantry line, but they have a special um, they have like a unique technology or two actually, where basically you can get the unique unit from your barracks, not just your castle, and you can basically spam them. And the Goth spam is a really fun uh, tactic to watch where basically you just see a ho- like a h- hundred people with like huge c- shields and giant swords and they are almost immune to arrow damage and they just go into a base and wreck it um, and a hundred is is important because there is a population limit of 200 in AoE 2 so sometimes you can even have like 120 of those huskals they are called uh, and it's just always fun to see that, and it's really, really difficult to play against too. Um, Chinese are really versatile; that's a lot of fun. And honestly, my favorite civs to see are the Mezzo civs, uh, Maya and Aztecs. They are great. And now I want to get basically into the the whole scene of it. And the my to- my favorite players. So if you, Richard, or any of the listeners, want to check some people out. Um, I think Tato, as, who I mentioned before, is great. He really is trying a lot of things, um, you know, cha- like finding out what strengths and weaknesses are. We have Yo, who is just, who has always been a great player. He's never been like number one or anything, but he's always been a contender and he's really stepped up his game recently. Um, we have Leary, who is kind of a, he's really been in the scene for four years or something and he is one of the main challenges of the Viper right now. And he's like really young and really, really good. He's been winning a lot of things in the last few years. And uh, my number one is Viper just because he is amazing. It's kind of boring. It's kind kind of like choosing the team that always wins the, the championship <laughs> or whatever. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, but it it is, I don't know. I just want to, I just respect that so much. Like the the amount of effort he puts in and just his decisions. And it's one of these things too. Like I've, I've heard a lot of interviews with him and for someone who has been at the top of this game for so long, he is never really cocky. He's just a really, really nice guy from what I can see. And yeah, there are some players that are very new that I, in the last two years or something, they have come up or like really improved their game, like Hera or Project Belgium or Daniel. And Hera is probably the number one right now. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, but I just haven't seen him that much. So I I feel like it's weird to include him in my top 4. But he's great. He's a he has like Viper and Hera have great YouTube channels as well where they also explain a lot of the game. And it's really cool. And they also are like streamers and they yeah, they they are some of those players who uh who make their their living from this game. Leary is interesting because he could be number one easy, but he just he's not that interested in it. He doesn't really play as much as anyone else. But for like the tournaments or every once in a while, 
he comes back to it and just beats everyone's ass which is really funny but on average i mean sometimes he loses too but uh, on average he's just uh yeah he's really good uh and then we have teams which is interesting because you know for tournaments sometimes you have teams uh, you know that in obviously in team tournaments <laughs> and i want to shout out for to uh, nabs which is short for nadia's boys which is basically yeah revolves around a player from belarus called nadia and they were like a great team they don't they have disbanded unfortunately but uh, they have had a really great chemistry they really played well together and i think they were just a bunch of friends from all over europe and it's interesting that they kind of they had nadia in their midst and that was i don't know i thought that, that was like a really cool uh thing especially like 10 years ago where doing that could have been perceived as somewhat weird um especially in a game that has so few female players you have aftermath which is the uh which is the uh, team of Hera and Leary and also top players like MBL and Nikov. You have SY, which used to be a Chinese team. They have disbanded now, but they were at the top of the game for a long time. Only second to my number two, which is kind of three teams at once because they basically went through different stages. And that's that's the time when I'm going to tell you about Tyrant, which is a team, like basically most of the top players in one team, uh, financed by a very, very filthy rich individual uh, who just loved the game and just gave them a lot of money. And they basically won all the tournaments in, uh, I don't know, from the mid-2000s to the mid-2010s. And yeah, they they had like basically almost all of the really, really good players and even their B team was better than most uh, most others, like just most other teams. But my number one is Suomi, which is basically a lot of Finnish players. Uh, you know, the, the people from NABS actually, and a few other really good ones. And they are really, really good in all the tournaments. And they're all really chill. And so that's a lot of fun to see them. And it's basically in every team tournament, it's those four in the semifinals, mostly. But yeah, it's it's really, I don't know. I, I like the whole team game aspect as well. And you have players like the Max, who is Finnish, who is in Suomi. He's the best team player and he just wrecks everyone. It's so impressive. And like Chinese players from SY, also Lix and Paladin, uh, who together with Yo just are such a strong force. So cool, so cool. And last but not least you have some casters and that's kind of again how i how i discovered this game right i just typed that in and i was i was on a youtube channel from a guy who called himself zero empires who is basically the hype man of aoe who has now stepped back from like public stuff and he is very much uh, in, involved with some major tournaments and the development of aoe 4 and from him, I discovered uh, Tristan, aka T90, who is as a, is the caster I referred to earlier, who just started out in like the early 2000s, maybe I don't even know, maybe 2013 or something. And he has now he is uh, just a force to be reckoned with. He is a lot of fun, especially when he's co-casting with uh, Dave. The, those two together are a lot of fun. 
he is very community minded. He has a lot of interesting games that he plays with his communities. He ha he organizes a tournament called, called Hidden Cup, where the uh, players in, in uh, like identity is not revealed until after the final. And it's a lot of fun to see, like everybody's guessing. Okay, this could be I don't know. This could be Hera. This could be Viper. And it's a lot of fun, especially for maybe some, there are definitely some top players who just get a lot of nerves, especially when they know they're facing the Viper. So they play way worse, um, but not really when they're playing in that tournament. So that's really interesting. And yeah, so for anybody who wants to check out AoE2, I really recommend T90. Uh, just look up his YouTube or his Twitch He's really great. There are other great casters. Nilly has really stepped up his casting game. Memb is basically as popular as T90. But, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know. I discovered T90 first and I like him more. So, But he's a great uh, caster. Barbecue Turkman, which is probably a great name. Uh, he yeah, He's also cool. And you have, again, you have a lot of pro players with their own YouTube and Twitch channels. You know, a lot of whom I have called, like, named. And if you want to, you know, Ornlu does great playthroughs through all of the campaigns. And Spirit of the Law really, cr like, goes into the different technologies and units and explains a lot of things. And that's kind of a valuable resource, too. And that's kind of, I don't know. I feel like I've been talking for a long time, probably quicker than I have, than I usually do. Just because I'm very excited. And I mean, this is the, this is what this whole thing's about, right? Excitement. I know. I know. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I just I just love this game so much. It's been with me since nineteen I mean, that's a long time. When's the last time you played? Oh, man. AOE two. Last time I played, I know I played some games in twenty thirteen. I think. Uh, just like as a like in one summer where I didn't have that much to do, um, I played some games, but I've never played online, unfortunately. Which again might be for the best because I'm terrible. I'm probably terrible. But that was like when I first I think discover like I first uh, I try I tried to like implement some build orders. Like okay, you need in the beginning you need for for this to like this strategy to succeed, you need to do, do like. It's basically like a whole choreography to do if in the in the first 10 minutes of the game so that you set are set up for success later on and stuff like that there and that's just uh, very you know you really have to grind and I think if I was 15 if I started like if I was 15 years younger right now I'd be all over it but I'm just like I'm not gonna start now yeah fair enough I mean there's limitations and sacrifices we make as we get a little older. Yeah, and uh, I don't know any any. I mean, I I could literally talk about this for hours. Uh, so I don't know if you have any any questions at at this point. I really I really like I I want to go through like I want to send you like one or two recorded games that are cast by T ninety Rashad, and just just so you know what I'm talking about, you know. Sure. I mean, I'm glad to I'll check it out. I can't promise I'll finish the videos depending how long they are, but no. I mean games can games can last a long time, but they can also be over in ten minutes. Yeah, good point. I'll probably send you like a fine a really good final from a tournament that 
it's probably like two hours or three hours long or two and a half hours or something, but it's like a best of seven or something like that, or a best of 11 or whatever. Okay. Um, or just like single games. I can do that too, that are just especially good. I guess I'll have to watch some YouTube videos for that. Oh, no. <laughs> Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. And this has been a really cool and informative talk. <laughs> it's so funny. I th I mean, first of all, thank you. But it's also, I feel like I've said a lot and maybe my enthusiasm this time. I've really tried to stay focused on the important things. But I think, at, at, especially in the last 15 minutes, I think I've just gone off the, ra off the rails a little bit. But it's just, I'm just, uh, I just love this game so much. Honestly, it's just, I like to hear the passion and people will like it as well. I feel like there's going to be two camps of people who listen to this and they're either going to be firmly on your side or firmly on my side in the sense that either they know nothing or a lot yeah. about this game. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that many people who, I mean, I, I would be very interested to hear from people who, uh, who know the game and have listened to this episode. So I, or maybe even people who don't know about it and now inspired to learn from it and i think it's a great time to get into this game to be honest with you whether it's as a player or as a spectator so i think i've i've name dropped a lot of people or you do so you can just find it out or you just do it like i did like i don't know, like a few years ago you just enter aoe into youtube and you're gonna find thousands of videos cool yeah, so if anyone uh, feels inspired by what they heard today and wants to learn more about the game or knows the game and loves it and wants to give us some feedback, Chris, what can they do? I mean, first of all, you should definitely rate us on uh, your podcast player of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts or or Spotify or whatever. But then definitely, definitely get in touch. You can find all the contact info on our website, seriallyhooked.com. You can find us on Twitter, at seriallyhooked. And... Yeah, you can just find yeah, just go there, you'll find it and I would love to hear from you guys. And uh yeah, but I don't know what was the point of that. What were we just talking about? I forget. Damn it. I don't know. You can just cut this.